you know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. What's happened? <laughs> that was the clunkiest intro. Oh, <laughs> just fumble this one away. Oh my gosh! What happens when you play producer and host at the same time? This is what happens. <laughs> I, I, uh, we have a guest today that's in studio, and I think we may have made it so he will never come back. <laughs> we, we may have made it so no guest will ever come back. <laughs> oh. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, I, I don't even want to edit that. I think we're going to stick with that intro. Uh, I'm Jake Wiskirchen. Mike Sedini joins me in Las Vegas. How hot is it there? It is pretty hot. Yeah. yeah. It's actually cooled down this week, which is only 102 high, I think. So. Man. Uh, and our guest, that other voice you don't recognize, but we'll introduce you, is Dustin Jones. Uh, Dustin joins us from Arms Corps, which is uh, one of our top sponsors right now not just for the podcast but for walk the talk america broadly hello dustin welcome into mike's home studio oh i'm happy to be here and thanks for having me guys good to see that you guys are socially distant um covid free oh Absolutely. yeah oh yeah yeah you know, we uh i tested him before he came into the house uh <laughs> forehead and everything exactly temperature gun everything like that dustin uh tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got to arms corps because you have an interesting story you you were from the firearms industry there's a few of us right that came up through nepotism which is a wonderful thing by the way for anyone who's listening, um that that has made this kind of their life you weren't that yeah well, it definitely was not uh i mean i own a gun since I could and but just one and I after when I went to college I studied accounting and finance and I went into big four public accounting which people that don't know what big four is it's four big accounting firms or consulting for firms and uh, yeah joined that and I knew Martin because my one of my best friends Chris Trillo which Mike knows uh, he actually is family friends with Martin, and when he was basically growing up, like he saw me growing up and going through the ranks, and arms score got a lot bigger in the United States. I mean, it started in 1985, but more as a paperwork office, and it got a lot bigger, and he kept on calling me up and saying, oh, Dustin, like, you know, we're getting a lot. I need somebody more professional, and I worked in a professional big four industry, but I was pretty young at that time, still am pretty young. And he kept on saying, oh, just, I need somebody professional. And I said, okay. And then um, I came in for an interview to Pahrump, Nevada. That's where our global uh, United States headquarters is. And ended up accepting the job. Didn't know what I got myself into. But uh, it was definitely a learning experience. And, yeah, I was CFO then at that age. And just kept on learning. And just once you learn the industry, 
and I met Mike. Actually, actually, I met Mike before right, with Mark. Before yeah, before yeah. with before in the industry, and yeah, that's that's basically my story. And now it's been close to seven years. I've been with Arms Corps, and just been the same position the whole time. Just different duties added on, changed, and uh, kept on rolling. And it's definitely been a roller coaster ride since 2013. And now we're on another uh, vertical. Uh, basically, we're having a good sales year in general as everybody knows probably well not i don't know if everybody knows that but definitely has been uh, high velocity so yeah that's basically my background just been an, a numbers guy and got into uh, the industry and now we're here and supporting wtta and uh, mike and uh, we're just happy to keep on going that's just every day taking it taking it good so how do you guys meet well, we met actually through Martin. This was actually back in. Uh, well, they're mostly they're a lot more mature than when I met them then. <laughs> so, they're definitely a lot more mature. But that was probably back. I don't know, ten, twelve years ago now, yeah. maybe even longer than that. But yeah, we, uh, we met in the nightclub, day club, pool party circuit. Yeah, yeah. So I think everybody is a lot more mature. But you know, Mike and Martin both have been. Martin's actually the CEO of Armscore, uh, the global CEO. And uh, even at what I met him at that time, he wasn't. And um, but even Mike and Martin before that, we were talking about work. I wasn't in an industry that's always been genuinely nice guys and always, you know, basically said it like it was and try to hold their word as much as they could. Um, so, I mean, just we instantly got along at that point. And now that I've been in the industry, just learn learn more about them. I like them more. And, uh, yeah, there's, they're definitely characters, uh, to say the least, but, uh, it's been a, a fun experience and now I'm here on a podcast. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Conquer the world through podcasts. That's, that's what we do here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the interesting facts about Dustin, um, cause I didn't, I didn't know you were doing this, but Dustin's also an author. Um, he wrote, how would you describe it, Jake? I mean, I'm going to let you describe it as well, Dustin, but it's almost like a, I call them like self-help type book, books, uh, the first 30, your guide to your first 30 years. Mm -hmm. And when, when I say like you wrote a book, like you legitimately wrote a book, like yes, it was yeah. a, you know, you didn't half-ass <laughs> it. Um, and, and I've read it and I've actually, there's, there's a lot of great quotes, um, in this book. Uh, I know Jake that, when you were down here last time, I had bought a bunch of copies because I was a fan, and uh, <laughs> I actually gave some of of the books for you to take back so you could bring them to your practice and everything like that, um, which I thought was pretty cool because I think it's a book that anyone you don't even have to you could still be in your forties mm -hmm. with this book. So, what tell us a little bit about the book? Well, the book is definitely like you described; it's a self help autobiography, and just try to make it as simple as possible. But the big input that I always had, um, I was one of those people that said, I'm going to write a book. And then when I say I'm going to do something, I, if I say it, I try to do it as much as possible. So I said, I always wanted a book that, you know, I would have liked, and there was never anything out there like it. It's basically to say, Hey, the challenges, everything that goes in your life, are just an average American uh, kid growing up uh, for your first 30 years. But when I, wrote the book and when I did it, it was right when I turned 30 I wrote the book um, and I did that because there's books out there that are self-help books or autobiographies but they're usually by some 
old guy that, you know, is going to look at it in hindsight and not know exact details. And, you know, you, you write certain things in there that might, you know, if somebody's older saying they're not going to, they're going to leave out some things. I just basically try to put everything in there. And it was challenging because, I mean, you're writing a book. I'm not an author. I mean, I'm not a, you know, journalist. I didn't take writing. Like, I mean, I took this, the basic courses in college. So realistically, I just put it all out there and try to make it. There's certain things when I wrote the book and I look back now, I'm like, well, I probably would have changed some things. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just how it is, right? I would have added things or I would have organized it a little bit differently. But I wouldn't change anything. I'm not going to ever edit it. And that's just basically, I really didn't, at that time, I didn't even tell anybody about it. I Actually, most people that found out about it just, you know, just word of mouth with friends. And realistically, I'm looking to, you know, 10, 20 years from now, I can always point back to, hey, this is my mindset uh, to people that, you know, need, not maybe not need the help or just want to see a different perspective of, hey, you're, how should you, you know, you might, people might say, oh, maybe they think that I'm successful or not think I'm successful, but they can actually say, how did you get there? And I can actually point to, this is my life. You know, I was raised by a single, you know, mom and had a brother and, you know, that's, that's a lot of America now and growing up middle-class and actually come to a point where, you know, you're executive of a global manufacturing company. And I just wanted to write it out and, Hey, if it helps a couple people, uh, you know, how you guys are in the business, Jake and Mike, you know, just helping people uh, more than I am. And if you can help just a couple people, I think you feel better about it because a lot of people don't have a guide to, you know, their first 30 years. It's and everybody's going to live their own unique 30 years. But surprisingly, the challenges that most people go through their first 30 years, you know, if you compare all three of us or usually it's the same life choices and your twenties and your teens your teens, most of the time you're just having a good time, but your twenties is a, a huge, you know, base for the way your rest of your life is going to be. And luckily I've been, you know, I got into position at arms corps even at a certain age to actually talk to people like Mike, like Jake that that mindset of people that have you know are at certain levels and you know people that are older in life and they'll tell me about their life and you hear about it and you know there was one common similarity is that most people you know their whole life's important but your 20s are a huge at least in the united states of america like a huge base for the rest of your life and that's the real reason i wrote the book and um, I mean, I don't really advertise that much and, you know, I'm more the sense of just one fresh in mind, but that's basically the book. And, you know, Mike's always support. He's actually one of the people I didn't really even tell him about it. He'll say, he's like, Oh, I bought a whole bunch of books and, uh, sent it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was definitely, yeah, it was, uh, interesting. I, I don't know if I'll, I'm definitely not going to write another book anytime soon. I can tell you it's, uh, anybody who ever says they're going to write a book, it's, a lot more work when you don't, I mean, people who write books have a lot more respect for them. I thought I before thought it was a lot easier than it was. And it's definitely a challenge because sometimes it's hard to portray what your mind says actually on paper, especially when you're not a professional at it. So yeah, you, you packed a lot into that uh, soliloquy there. I kind of want to unpack a few things, but the first one is a softball question. How, how long did it take you to write this thing? Cause it's it, what 180 something, 170 pages. 
It took or it took nine months actually. Be, I mean, nine months of truly actually from start to finish to write it, edit it, you know, publish it. Um, that's how long it took. Um, so it wasn't a short amount of time, but it wasn't a long amount of time. But I had a lot of stuff. You know, it's a lot easier when you're talking about yourself and you already think about it in your head beforehand. So that yeah, that so it, yeah. You're thinking of writing a book. Budget a year is what yes. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, or more. Um, so I'm really glad that we're spending time on this because we are talking about the intersection of guns and mental health. And here's a, you know, firearms manufacturing executive, like you said, and I want to get into that in a minute, but right now, like the, the, the mental health aspect of this, um, you, you chose a series of topics for your, your chapters, um, pride, confidence, friends, relationships, money, travel, um, and then the, the world as a whole. Um, how did you pick those topics? Uh, you know, I mean, we could have, we could have spent any amount of time on a whole bunch of different things that aren't in there, like education and career and the, the tip, quote unquote typical things that you'd think to, that would be in a first 30 years of your life self-help book. How did you pick those categories and which one's your favorite? My favorite one, you know, my first one I'll say is definitely the circle of friends and relationships that you have. And the reason, you know, ed, I talk about education, I talk about um, business, I talk about all those different things in it. But when it comes to the comparison of, you know, people's life, because I want to make this a book for ba- anybody could relate to or ba- anybody can use the foundation for it. I'm not going to put everybody in one bottle on that side and say, hey, everybody got to be an accountant and this is what you got to be or everybody has to be a doctor. This is how you become, you know successful at that aspect because success is measured by you know your person your surroundings and i'm more of a true believer on it is that these chapters basically if everybody actually just follows these chapters or you know just reads it and has their own opinion on it that they can have a form of success that they think is successful and their friends thinks are successful because that's to me the true definition of success you know, back when you're a kid, you want to think about, hey, money, that's, that's most, a lot of people's layer of success, especially when you're a kid is I want to make money. And once you actually start making money, you're actually say like, all right, well, once you have enough money to do what you really want to do, you realize that that doesn't really mean as much as your friends and what they think about you. And how do you actually get to a successful layer as surrounding yourself by good people that are all going to support each other and rise with each other and compete, you know, friendly competition on it. And even me and Mike, like this good for me and Mike, for example, like just meeting each other and having a good time and talking about business and seeing him do well. And, you know, seeing him do nonprofit organization, it makes you want to do better or help them out. And all of a sudden, you know, you go five years away and you know, you're, you're doing, you're doing better yourself because that's why I really didn't talk about business and education, because if your friends are, you know, studying and your friends are in business and they're doing well, then those are the big aspects to me, like traveling, seeing different cultures. So you don't have a one sided line of view. Um, those those are huge aspects to me. And just realistically knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at, because some people are better at certain things than others. But sometimes they try to say, this is what you have to do uh, to be successful. And I didn't want to, when I wrote the book, I didn't want to go down that level because I don't believe that, you know, 
there's one correlated aspect because your internal self is going to define how your happiness um, and making yourself happy and having around and support group because I'd rather have, you know, a good support group than just money directly. Of course you need money to survive in the world, but biggest thing is having people around you that care. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting off subject here because uh, I'm just, you're talking about chapters and why I picked them. I'm I'm getting uh, sentimental here. So yeah, you totally (laughs) nailed it. I mean, the, I think the the thematic element that runs through that is relational and it's not a, it's not a check the box type of uh, how to book it, because that's so limiting to what, and, and I'm glad that you said, you know, the, the, the internal self, the true, you know, Car- Carl Jung, who's a big name in our field called it the true self, uh, capital T capital S um, it's that, that inner essence of you that drives you, right. That's unique to you and check checklists don't hit that. Um, they're not individualized and what will refine that is who you spend time with and, and the passions that you find through diversity and growth and progress and the way that you internally develop who you, who you are and what that sense of self is. And the only way to do that is in community. And I think that's the, that's a strong theme that runs throughout what you just said and what you've illustrated in the book is like, you can't, you no man is an Island. You can't do this on their own. There is no formulaic process for success and it's, it's variable and it, uh, it is not quantifiable except by your own viewpoint. And I think that a lot of people miss that when they're, even when they come into the therapy office, you know, they're, they're looking to improve themselves. They reached for books on the shelf. They listen to podcasts. Uh, they come into counseling in a formal capacity and it's like, just tell me what to do. It's like, well, I don't have those answers. You have those answers. And the only way you're going to find those answers is by continual exploration. And the best way to do that is through surrounding yourself with, you know, a, a council of wise advisors, so to speak, and, you know, continually reflecting on what works and doesn't work. And, you know, the closer you can get aligned to that inner sense of self, the happier you're going to be. And I, I don't know, I, I just, I think there's, there's really rich fertile ground to, to be explored there. And I appreciate that you, you know, gave it a, gave it a shot and get, you know, put out a, a really high quality product, even though you, you may have think it's like, Oh, I'm just some, some young dude writing a book. It's like now, nah, but it was authentic. You know what I mean? Like there, there's so much contrived literature out there. Um, I think, I think that's what, what resonates. Your writing style is really good too. It's very, it's very short and punctual sentences. You, you write like you talk, um, which a lot of people don't, and you're not trained that way in school. You know, you're trained to write like a writer, not write like you talk. And these days, I think it's more digestible um, to write like we speak. And so, I don't know. It's just, I, I really appreciate you, you doing that. And um, I think a lot of people could benefit from reading it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to share a story because I'm a big, like, cliche guy. Like, a lot of people say, like, oh, this is so, it's so cliche. But I'm like, cliches work. Like, they, they're good for you sometimes. And you need that, right? Um, so I'm very big on just, like, the, the little reminders that help people put things in perspective, right? Because that's really what cliches are. It's things that everyone says, oh, it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. But that's true, right? Um, but there's one cool part of your book that I really liked, and it was – it was when I kind of was first getting this rocking and rolling, right? Um, and there are times when I look at Walk Talk America coming from a place like Eagle Imports that was like this highly successful machine. And then I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And I get anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and Jake's been there. I mean, you've probably been there mm-hmm. some for some private conversations where I'm kind of like, 
yeah, this is a scary thing for me because I'm starting from scratch and I'm starting at something I don't know and a lot of uncharted territory. But one of the one of the quotes in your book that I really loved was the one that said, the best investment you can make is betting on yourself. Mm-hmm. It's something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, that helped at that moment, that helped me put it in perspective because I had to say like, I am betting on myself, right? I had to get my confidence back, you know, because I'm betting on myself and there's nothing wrong with betting on yourself as opposed to just succumbing to whatever you think, you know, I'm going to go take this job here and be miserable the rest of my life. No, I'm going to bet on myself because I'm passionate about this stuff. Um, so I thought that was like really cool. It was like one of the things that hit me when I first read the book, like in the face, in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, the, so there's a lot of stuff in here. One of the things also I loved too was uh, the part, little reminders about like subscriptions to things and how that could drain your bank account because they add up, right? It's a $6 subscription here or a $3 subscription here. I think a lot of people forget that. Um, you know, and those are the things of being financially responsible. Yes, and I, I, finances, of course, is my strong suit when it comes to, I'm an accounting background, CPA for many years, big four public accountant. So, and one of my aspects of the accounting, most of the time you think of somebody that sits in their chair and not too, you know, verb, like they don't really ex- explain their emotions too much or, you know, boring on that aspect. <laughs> numbers, I, I like, numbers there's definitely boring it. aspects of me. I'm not going to say that I do like to work and sometimes, you know, sit in the office because that's what I have to do to get the, you know, job done. That's still my job is numbers, but to actually por- portray it out there. And, you know, that's the number one compli- uh, conversation that you have with people. And that's a big thing that is brought up a lot that's never really talked about too much when Jake's talking about education also is one of the big things biggest things about education is finances and managing them and the compounding of interest and actually you know as a person and you know when I talk about mental health on that aspect finances has such a strain on a lot of people is that but when they're younger they're not really teached on finances or budgeting or having a certain aspect, everybody, in, especially in the United States, is like, hey, I, you see it? You have a good chance that actually getting it. I mean, if you work hard on those aspects, but sometimes people spend so much money on things that are minimal that add up, so like subscriptions that they don't use, that they can't save money to buy that bigger purchase. And finances and the aspects isn't really well taught in school by any means, and uh, there's a lot of parents that don't teach their kids finances also, especially ones that have money. Um, luckily, my mom, well, that's one of her, she was, I'd probably call her more, uh, you know, definitely cost-conscious. My whole, one side of my family was very cost-conscious, so, you know, you're as a kid, you're like, man, I can't, like, you see your other friends rolling around, and, you know, they're spending more money than you are you're like man i don't really like this but now i step back and think about it, i'm like i'm happy that i actually you know learned about finances because it realistically helped me out so much um, i don't know what your guys thought process on it or um, how much it has to do with the mental health because i'm not an expert on that aspect but those are those are one of my big aspects when it comes to budgeting also that you're yeah, talking about big. There's a there's a pretty popular guy named uh, Dave Ramsey who um, he tends to run in the Christian circles about um, managing finances and budgeting and that kind of thing. And his whole thing is, you know, live debt free and and 
understanding that's very challenging in America if you want to be completely debt free. I mean, we take on car payments and uh, house payments and education payments just to achieve things. Um, but the underlying premise there is um, don't don't owe a bunch of money for things you don't necessarily need just to keep up with uh, the Joneses or or what not not you but um, I'd like I'd yeah. love that. <laughs> I love that. You don't want to constantly be, you know, looking over your neighbor's fence, seeing what they have, and then, you know, feeling guilty about it. And unfortunately, our our country's, uh, you know, marketing in general, probably in the West, uh, it, it does this, which is uh, they they provoke a limbic system, meaning an emotion based response from your brain, and chiefly that's, uh, you know, bifurcates into two different emotions: fear and excitement. So, uh, fear is that you're in danger and you need to buy something to protect yourself. Um, and that's not always like physical danger, you know, for, for a firearm, but it could be like danger of like missing out or danger of the, you know, the threat of somebody breaking into your house. So you want to like get an alarm system and, uh, or it's the, the threat of not being socially accepted. So you got to get the the next iPhone to keep up with everybody. You know, con- conversely, there's, there's excitement, which is there's a new iPhone out and it's exciting. So you should get it. And our brain tells us to act on that out of, you know, curiosity or, or protection. And so marketing techniques like that really work. The problem is uh, not everybody has the finances to buy all the crap that's advertised to us. And yet we've got this pressure mounting to do so. So finding an inner peace that says, I'm okay with what I have is, is really critical. But when you get into debt and you have to pay for all these, this, this, this junk that you've bought, uh, it makes, like you alluded earlier, Dustin, it makes making the bigger purchases that much more difficult because you just don't have the resources. And that in turn creates more strain. So you just imagine this complex um, sphere around a person where all these different pressures are being applied. One says, um, make sure you don't become a social outcast. Make sure you have the latest, coolest stuff. The other says, um, stay out of debt. Don't owe anybody anything. Another one says, um, save for a rainy day. Another says, save for retirement. Another one says, um, be okay with who you are. <laughs> and like, you know, you're like, which one do I pick? And oh, by the way, uh, whenever you turn on the TV, all the things that are marketed to you seem very important from the brand of diapers to the shampoo you use to the car that you're supposed to drive. And it's like, well, I don't know if I can pick all of those things, uh, but they're all made to seem very important. And you can't have that many number one priorities, especially on a limited budget. So it is real. It is real. The stress is real. The 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 mental anguish is real. And um, I think the path forward is obviously just to, to know who you are internally, which goes back to that true self. If you know who you are, then you can see the advertisements for what they are, the marketing efforts for what they are. And go, okay, they're just getting, they're, they're just tempting me to buy this thing. Um, have conversations with your significant others, with your financial advisor, if you have one and say, is this really necessary? You know, um, don't spend money you don't have as a good rule, but uh, yeah, it is, it is real. So if you, if you're out there and you're listening, you know, in the audience and going, man, that, that sounds like you're describing me um, might be time to take a step back and just examine your purchasing habits. And sometimes it's just when you like, sometimes when I'm thinking about a purchase, I always tell myself like, Calm down, go to sleep, and let, let. If I feel like it in the morning, and you'll have a different. Because sometimes your emotions just take over you. Like, ah, I want that. You see something? I just saw something that Mike had in the kitchen beforehand. <laughs> I'm just like, I want that right now. But most likely, I'll, pro- I'll probably still buy it tomorrow morning. But uh, uh, yeah, it's definitely you see it, but you actually 
will step back and actually really calm down on the aspect with anything really in life and just don't make, you know, very direct. That's on one of my, well, that works for me is not with not just money with when it comes to feelings, when it comes to anything. Hey, hey sometimes if it's a big thing and you're getting worked up, Hey, just I'm going to go to sleep tonight, maybe even take a weekend. I think that's why Monday through, you know, of course, Monday through Friday has a lot more aspects when it comes to, you know, different social things in life. But Monday through Friday is like, oh, sometimes you get the work week, it's all worked up. By Monday, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good again. Even though after Friday, I'm just like, man, you just so much strain on your shoulders. It's really sometimes take, you know, a night or two of sleep when it comes to finances or feelings and just think, all right, how do I feel after that and make a rational decision if it comes to your girlfriend, if it comes to, you know, even I don't have kids on the aspect of it, but uh, hopefully one day I do. But I just, with any kind of big decision in life that really gets you worked up, just, you know, step back, breathe, take a, take a night of sleep and then see how you feel. Cause a lot of people will change their minds. I'm sure everybody's been down that road where if it's not you or if it's a ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend or whatever those aspects, all of a sudden like somebody says something to you by via text message, which it's so easy to send a text message. Then all of a sudden the next day they uh, see you. Hey, I'm sorry about last night. Like it's like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's 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 hard to do, and a lot of people will never learn it or never told it. But sometimes it's just nice to you know just take a step back and have a nice sleep, and you don't realize that it doesn't need to happen right now to make you happy. It can happen one day. You can wait, you know, to press that send button. You could wait to make that call. Uh, I guess it's a lot easier said than done for uh, a decent amount of people. But that's just one of the you know. Yeah. I mean- our culture, our culture has been, you know, pushed into this like instant gratification thing too. Like, you know, deal expires tonight at midnight. And it's like, Oh no, if I don't get that, then I'm going to be on the outs. And, uh, the simple fact is like any decision made out of impulse, uh, which different part of the brain, right? The limbic system is the emotional part and frontal frontal lobe is the executive functioning, reasonable, rational part. Um, any decision made out of emotion, uh, by very nature of how the brain works does not have much rationality attached to it. So if we want to make our decisions out of reason and logic, then we have to attenuate the emotion in order to get there. Um, so if we understand how we're being uh, pitched and it's to make decisions out of emotional impulse and reflex, uh, then we can at least pause and go, wait, I think, I think this deal or someone like something like it will probably come around again, you know, maybe tomorrow, maybe it doesn't expire at midnight, that kind of, you know, uh, call, call in the next 10 minutes and you'll get, you'll also get, um, those are designed to flare your emotional functioning. Here's the issue though. When, when we make decisions out of emotion and we don't have a lot of reason, we don't have a lot of foresight and we not, we can't always predict the outcome. And then we end up making decisions we regret. Uh, so we want to make decisions with as much information as possible and make them as logical as possible. Uh, so that we can have at least some sense of control of the outcome. So it's like, well, if I spend this 40 bucks on this thing that I saw on late night TV uh, and I had to call in the next 10 minutes to get free shipping, then I know that I'm out 40 bucks. What else do, does my 40 bucks need to go to? Well, I've got, you know, kids shoes to buy diapers to buy. Um, there's that uh, water bill that's hanging over my head that I need to pay, you know, whatever it is. And then you go, do I, do I really need the, the fancy thing that's advertised to me on late night TV. And you can make that decision of reason and logic rather than like, Oh man, I got to have that. Um, and then forget that you have bills to pay in the end. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. 
So, I mean, the de- the deal will always, that's how the world works. Uh, the deal will be there most likely tomorrow and the day after. But sometimes that's that that's what, why marketers make money, is they want to make you feel like you need it now. Yep. So, uh, I guess what they're good the- at their job, so... Yeah. One of the things I wanted to unpack from your uh, earlier introduction there was the idea of being a chief financial officer of a major international corporation at such a young age. Um, Does that seem surreal to you? At the time, um, probably not. Now I look back at it, I'm like, what was Martin thinking? You know, but uh, (laughs) Martin's the CEO, like I was saying earlier, of the company. And uh, I guess it, I, I hope if you asked him now, uh, you know, he would uh, he would say it worked out for him and everything like that. And then his, um, you know, the everybody that worked there would say it worked out. I guess I guess it has because I'm still there right now. So they haven't uh, let me go or anything like that. So um, but at that I look back at it and say I, I learned a lot. And I probably shouldn't have got hired for that position, but I, I'd like to say Martin made a good call, but you'd have to ask him more than anything. Yeah, well, the and the firearms industry, too, is not like every other industry. Mm-hmm. It's a unique, um, it's changed a lot in the last, you know, six years, um, but it's like a, a industry that's built on relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't... I mean, this is just a story that when I first got into business and I was a sales rep, I remember my grandfather sending me to a show and basically saying, take all these guys out and get them drunk. And I guarantee you'll do business with them the next morning. And he was right. Yeah. (laughs) I took a bunch of dealers out and we got them wasted in the next morning. Yeah, I'll come by tomorrow and we'll buy some guns from you at the show, you know, and um, that's a unique thing, right? So you have to come into the industry kind of feeling your way through it, right? Not just being like robotic numbers guy, but learning how, who's the players are, who, you know, how things work sometimes. Sometimes we do things backwards and mm-hmm. try to like make those positive changes, but at the same time kind of respect the old school of it, you know? Yeah. How was uh, that for you? Well, yeah, it's just a, and actually I was just telling my girlfriend this like story exactly what we're talking about right now is like being in an industry and even she's not familiar with it by any means at all anyways because you know she's a dental hygienist and everything and I was actually explaining my first entrance you know entrance to the gun because I knew you I knew Martin uh, which were very high up in their respective companies which were you know it's a tight-knit industry there's not a crazy amount of you know big companies um, in the industry so most people have a conception of the gun industry um, and say, they say, oh, wow, they think that, you know, because the media, a lot, I hate to say the media, you know, this feels like so basic when people are saying, oh, the media now, you know, it's like right. news and all those kind of things. But it's, you know, people in the gun industry are portrayed as, hey, you know, heavily male dominated, you know, not gentlemen, like that's the perception, like, hey, right. we're, we have some evil aspect of it. So I came in, I really didn't know anything I'm coming in from. The account world, like account world, we're auditing you know huge corporations and stuff like that, and you're just seeing it. So when my first int- my first instance actually was, you know, the, when I come to the gun industry, I was like, these people will tell you like it is more than any industry I've been in. I'm talking about you know construction industry was pretty similar uh, to it, but like the gaming industry, you know, real estate industry, like in seeing those auditing companies, you know. 
the gun industry, at least they're going to tell me exactly like it is. And everybody in it was just really, of course you have your bad apples here or two, but like mostly out of any industry I've ever been in, everyone was just genuinely like nice. The guys were gentlemen Mm -hmm. uh, opening doors, you know, just old stuff that I take a lot of pride in and just genuinely nice people. And a lot of people won't actually see it unless they're around it. Right. Cause like people are looking at it like, okay, you're, this wild wild west industry right that's the way people look at it let's call it what it is i came in blind just like a regular person like that was an accountant then i came in and you know people were showing me around and meeting everybody and everybody was just like you said everybody's close Mm -hmm. but everybody was really just nice and i didn't hear any foul anything bad and um right anything bad and there's like good people but it's this perception of anything when it comes to they well some people will make up even me i'm i do it sometimes you make up a stereotype in your head and then it's nice to be proven wrong sometimes which i didn't have any stereotype of the industry i was just more surprised on how People really, you know, you did a handshake deal still, which is very, like, it doesn't even happen in the construction industry really anymore. And, you know, Vegas was built on handshake deals. You know, I'm born and raised in Vegas. It's, you know, people will say what it is, but Vegas was built on handshake. It's not like that anymore because corporations end up taking over, unfortunately. Um, but the gun industry is still, it's getting less and less every year, but there's still yeah, a lot of... It's changing. A yeah, there's, it's changing, you know, a, a good amount, but there's still a lot of handshake deals. Like you, you, you do this and uh, you don't want to make people upset. Um, and you, I don't want to make people upset in general. Um, but you know, everybody's really understandable. So that was my, to answer your question, which I usually I answer them with uh, long answers, I guess, but uh, <laughs> I don't know how good it is for airtime, but yeah, that's my general synopsis of like the actual industry coming into it. And it still hasn't changed to this day. And it's funny actually to see, let me extend my answer, I guess. It's funny to actually to see people in the industry now that don't know it. Because a lot of, some people are trying to do different things in the industry. They come in and I'm like, I was like, it's funny because now I'm coming in saying like, hey, I've been in it for a while now. And I'm seeing them come in kind of, I really just don't talk, uh, even though it doesn't seem like it right now. Like I, when I go, when I meet people for the initial time, I really just step back get to learn the people's personality before I really just, you know, I'm really to start saying stuff. But I see other people come in and they start saying, oh, I could do this for you and do X, Y, Z, and they're not from the industry. I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what you're dealing with. That's not how it works around here. You mean well. You mean well, but I'm saying, like, you think that, like, you're going to, I'm going to cut somebody off just because you can save me. Like, you don't realize it goes up and down. Where you guys, like, I'm going to stick with the people that have been because that's what you need like we have to be tight knit on you know yeah. we have to be tight knit because you know, people see it like hey if you cut this per-, like when you need them they're gonna they, they they're still in a position to say i ain't helping you out you yeah. know the interesting thing too about our industry is i always say this the uh the faces don't change the banner behind the face changes yeah so you gotta watch out who you're you're talking to because if you screw somebody over there's a good chance that that person might go to another company and you need their help. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, that's why you see the same faces around the show circuits and everything like that. And all the industry functions, same people. We've all known each other for years. You know, uh, some of the relationships I have are going on 20 plus. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a unique industry for sure. 
Yeah. It's... And I think that's the, I mean, I'm sure you've hit on it before, is, and I think that's why the industries like it a lot, is that we, ha- like, you know when you, you've probably seen it before, is like, when you get attacked so much, because, you know, our industry is under attack a lot, like, it feels like your group, your, you know, your, your circle just comes more and more, like, right, tight. Right, we have a common Every, enemy. Everybody has a common enemy, tight. And you don't want to let anybody in. And it happens, and I don't blame it, for it to be like that, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, like, now people have this evil persona about us because we won't let anybody in. And I get why we're like that, because once you let people in, it feels like, at time they're trying to screw you over. Right. Um, but it comes to the perception just with your mental health aspects. Like they, it's kind of hard to get in. Right. And like really talk to you because they're like, okay, what's the perception? So that's why, you know, we're really happy that you're, you know, started this organization up and founded it and moving forward with it. And you got good partners um, that are helping you out like Jake and everything that, are moving forward. That's why we're really excited about it is because now people can actually go to somebody that they trust and say, Hey, you know, I'm not an enemy here. Right. I'm not trying to do anything to you, but uh, that's the hard part about the industry uh, on that aspect. We're, we're so tight sometimes that it yeah. kind of hurts us. Sometimes, sometimes it seems we're stuck in our ways. Mm-hmm. I, I could not have, um, and I'm still, I think I'm still, I, I'm, it's getting better. But I think when, when we first started doing this, um, uh, if it weren't for Mike and the associations he has with uh, the several people who are on the WTTA board uh, and then you know, various other friends who you know, aren't so visible on, on, the, on the WTT angle, I, if it weren't for Mike, I wouldn't have had an audience. If I had just come in and said, hey, guys, you know, you know what a good idea is, I wouldn't have been received like at all. Because uh, regardless of my history or how many friends I have who have firearms or firearms stores here in Reno, um, I'm an unknown and therefore regarded as suspicious and um, with with good reason, I think, too. So it required a, a, somebody doing a warm handoff. And then, of course, you know, I couldn't come in just, you know, blindly incompetent either about about the industry in the field. Um but it required Mike paving the path to this so that it's not greeted with a bunch of suspicion and that there is, you know, harmony to be recognized and, and discovered through this, this process of bringing the two cultures of guns and mental health together without it. uh, It would have been not effective. And I can say that the inverse would be true too. If somebody from the firearms community came into the mental health realm and said, Hey, you know what we want to do? <laughs> uh, it would have been regarded with the same suspicion because we, most people in my field don't get an opportunity to um, announce that they, they have firearms uh, interests simply because of the judgmentalism that pervades our own community, which is absurd for a field that hangs its hat on non-judgmentalism. Uh, we are highly judgmental <laughs> and it's, uh, it's really, it's unfortunate. So hopefully, you know, our, our idea is to span the gap and, and bring both, uh, both cultures together. So far it seems to be working. And I think the more that we continue to have conversations like this one, where neither, uh, side, if you will, and I hate that term, and Mike does too, but neither side regards the other side as something um, nefarious or of the occult that's going to like come in and screw things up for everybody, then the more conversation we'll have. And I, I've faced this stigma across many different presentations, and it's amazing how just talking 
seems to alleviate all that. And you, and you have to speak competently and you have to be well read and that kind of thing. But, but it can be done. It can be done. So one of the cool things about uh, Dustin and Arms Corps and their, their mission to support Walk Talk America and kind of do it with us is you did something very unique. We have a card that we put in the box of, of firearms. Eagle started with Bursa, um, you know, the Metro Arms products and Grand Power. And then it slowly grew. You guys came on board, started putting in all your gun boxes. High Point did it. Um, there's a few others. Argo J does it with mm-hmm. his gun. Um, but you took the opportunity to take that card, which in the front basically is a link to our screenings to get mental health help right or just to see what see what see where you are mentally mm-hmm. um, and there's different screenings one for PTSD anxiety all these different things but you took the opportunity to take that card and take it a step further talk about that because I think it's pretty cool um, and we've had we've actually had some press contact you because I told you yeah. what you're doing so talk about what you do in the back of that card and why you do it yes yeah, so just like you said our front of the card is the WTTA that we put in every single firearm that we sell uh, which is, uh, I, I, well, I guess we can't publicly display how many we sell, but it's, it's a good, it's a, it's a decent amount. And uh, on the back of the on the back of the one uh, shooter is a conservation, basically what goes to each gun that we sell. Because as a manufacturer, anytime you sell guns and ammunition, guns and ammunition, which we make both, um, our gun brand is Rock Island Armory, and our ammunition brand is Arms Corps. And every time you sell, uh, the first sell, you have to pay excise taxes on. And the excise taxes, which is one of the only taxes that are like this, goes to a specific fund, which is conservation, conservation of animals. So it's actually pretty, you know, or just hunting in general, that it's not just for animals, but the hunting, conservation, everything. It goes to a fund. Um, and we, it's basically the fund is by, most of it is funded by gun and ammo sales, the firearm yeah. industry. And mo- a lot of people don't even know that. So we just wanted to basically say, hey, when you're buying this gun, it actually is going to something. And a lot of, that's a, another perception about um, people that, you know, hunters specifically, which I'm, I, actually not a hunter, but I know many, many hunters in the industry and I'm all for it. Um, but I was actually like, they love animals. They love the conservation. They, they wait for a tag. They are all about following the, you know, basically self, you know, funding and following the rules so they can right. keep on hunting and keep on doing things. And they love animals. And that's the reason we put the flyer in there is to actually to re- remove that perception. Cause a lot of people that are buying handguns. They're just buying it for self-defense. Don't even know. They, they they might even think that, hey, I'm buying this for self-defense and oh, people that own guns, you know, don't like animals. And they might even think that when they're buying it. And they don't even realize that, hey, we, <laughs> that's a, that's another un- misconception of gun owners is that most gun owners do love animals and they do want to keep them around. They do want to preserve them. They preserve the land. And preserve the land. And so they, it goes back to kind of beating, like, like I'm a big proponent of when you do good things don't be ashamed to let people know you do them right i think the gun industry is so closed off sometimes and it's like no we can pound our chest and talk about the things we do do and educate people like i think that'd be pretty cool if i bought an arms core firearm or or, you know rock island 
and I, or I bought some Armors Core ammo and I learned by, through that purchase that part of my purchase, you know, from top to bottom actually went into some conservation, land conservation mm -hmm. and animal conservation, right? A lot of people don't know that. And I think Jake, um, I think when I first showed you that too, you were like, how is this not a bigger deal? I think you ac actually said that, right? I did because uh, I, I myself was learning about it for the first time. And I think actually where I learned that was actually in um, uh, Joe Bartosi's presentation in February. I think he talked about that. And then I whacked you and Chris Chang were sitting, we were all sitting in a row and I was like, what? Are you serious? It was like, it was in the, it was in the multiple tens of millions of dollars annually that go into conservation efforts. And I was like, how do, how do I not know this? Like, I'm not, I'm not a dumb person, but how do I not even know this excise tax exists? And apparently it's existed since like 1983 or yeah. so. Like not, it didn't come into play like two days ago. Um, and it's, I think it's stunning to me and quite revealing how, the firearms industry has not leveraged that um, stunning because it just seems so obvious from a marketing perspective, but also revealing because when you have a culture that's constantly worrying about defending itself, um, you don't have time to go promote. And I, th I think that's really sad uh, that, 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 that that environment has been created in the last 25 or 30 years in this country where you got so much good that has been done through the firearms industry that we never hear about because all the efforts are spent on defense. And so here's another one with walk the talk America, like eventually we're going to have more manufacturers contributing to our efforts and everybody will get on board. And I see very, very cool things coming from this and lots of lives being saved as well as people just being educated about their mental wellness. Somebody somewhere has to go, you let's throw that into our marketing budget. And, and so the, the two can learn to walk together um, in the in the public eyeball. We call, in my field, we call that a dialectic. It actually, it's a term that comes from biology where it's a both and not an either or. Um, so we want, we want to make, we want to help people understand that both can exist simultaneously because they do. Um, we're just, we're just not pushed that direction in our very polarized culture these days. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, I was, you know this, Jake, uh, this is going to be news to you, but I was signing up an optics company. And they, the first thing they said is, hey, we want to participate in putting that in the box. And I, I had to go down the line and give them examples. So I gave them examples of what Eagle did, you know, with promoting their social media and, you know, other companies do with like a coupon code to bring people back to purchase like an accessory on their site. And then I was like, and here's what Arms Corps does. They take the opportunity to use the back to promote what they do for conservation, not only for mental health front. And it's cool because he thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> so like, that seems right to me, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's the type of thing we're talking about is the influence, you know, if it feels right and it seems right and you could take that opportunity, then it is right. It feels mm -hmm. good, right? It feels good as a firearms manufacturer or an optics manufacturer to explain to your customers you know, not only did you buy this great product and we stand behind it, but we also care. We give a shit. Mm -hmm. You know, we are socially conscious as well. Like everyone always thinks like socially conscious things can only be, you know, uh, I hate to say it, but like more to the left or the liberal side of things. And it doesn't. Everybody can be socially conscious, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, well, it's, 
it's it's love, right? It's love and responsibility and respect and you know, true conservationism, true conservativism, if you're if you're on the right uh, end of the political spectrum, means just that conserving, like making sure you're protecting things like you got to protect your environment or you're going to lose it. You got to protect your kids or you're going to lose them. Like that's, that's conservationism. That's not, that's not a political football to be tossed around. And I think to your point, Mike, about like, when you get to list off what other people have done to the next person in line, it makes it look like it's okay. So we need somebody to take that first step forward. We needed an Eagle Imports. We needed an arms corps. We needed Zephyr Wellness to be the first so that all the other manufacturers, gun retailers, uh, ranges, stores, um, and then all the other mental health clinicians, whether individually or agency or Mental Health America had, had to be the first one, right? I say Zephyr because Zephyr was the first agency. Mental Health America is a, 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 an association. Um, they, they had to be the first one. So that makes it almost, it almost gives permission to everybody else who's suspicious because the chasm has been so wide for so long between our two cultures that no one wants to move for fear of we don't know what turns out there's not much fear of anything um i don't know castigation by your peers being scoffed at by people who don't scoff at you in front of your face they do it behind your back so it's like you never know they exist anyway so who cares (laughs) but but they do we do that anyway we hesitate we're like well what are my peers going to think if i get in bed with the gun community who cares you're saving lives and you're doing the right thing right um and now we're seeing that we're seeing the fruit of it and i think i think that's just going to snowball honestly Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, uh, I have a good question for you. How, when, what do you think the, the audience will evaluate whether it's good or not? No, no, no. I told them <laughs> it was good. It's going to be good. So <laughs> how do you balance that challenge? I suppose of, of being kind of like in financially in charge of, you know, a global operation, you're constantly going between Manila and everything like that. Uh, so there's a lot of responsibility on you. Um, but how do you, and, and you're taking a company and you guys are considered like a socially conscious to a company. Mm-hmm. What are those discussions like when you, cause I know you were instrumental in, in my success with walk talk America, especially lately, right? Mm-hmm. Like what are those conversations like? And obviously I don't want you to name names or talk about people like, but you have to sit and present, like, I think this is a good idea. Right. And I really want to do this and I really want to put this card in a box Cause I'm sure there's some people that are just like, what is this? I don't want to do this. Like, how do you do that? Like, like that process? Well, I think it's realistically, you have to have the team around. Do you believe in it? Cause anything for any time it's going to work is everybody be on board with it. So we have an executive team uh, in the United States and the Philippines and you just meet with them, you talk to them and say, this is, you know, I'm passionate about this and I believe in it. And of course, everybody knows who you are, uh, Mike and everything like that. So, um, and like you were saying earlier, you know, from the book, you know, invest, investing into yourself and believe in yourself. And that's the best investment you'll ever make. Cause that's the highest return, the most rewarding that you'll ever feel. Um, I mean, you have a persona about you, you, you believe in it. You know, I mean, I've, I've worked with, you know, many nonprofits, you know, I, I guess many is not the word, but, you know, a decent amount of nonprofits, um, not, you know, maybe not operationally, but like with accounting aspects of it. And you're hands down one of the most passionate people that I've met. And I, um, I it's you, you have an aura about you when you believe in something, 
you know, people will get behind you on. And of course, with your track record, it was easy for us to, you know, just talk to me to tell everybody and say, hey, this is, you know, how much we get for per month and, you know, increase it over time as, you know, WTTA gets bigger. And everybody was, it wasn't even a question, you know, Martin, Lisa, Chloe, Faye, um, they all were just, no questions asked, let's do it. So, and I think, you know, as more and more people uh, realize about it and get comfortable with it, because as you know, in the industry, you know, stuff takes a little bit longer <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Ship. So it's a slow journey, especially, <laughs> yeah. and I, and realistically, I don't blame them because if we move too quick, then, you know, sometimes you're going to get taken advantage. I mean, there's been too many times and too many times people seen get taken advantage of. And uh, sometimes uh, I was talking about you know, the industry, I was, I was talking about that, taking one night to think about it. Sometimes the industry takes one year, you know, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's just, uh, it makes it uh, interesting. But to answer your question, yeah, no, it was, it was easy for every, everybody is uh, on board. They, they believe in it. And maybe that's why we picked it up a lot quicker than, you know, other people yeah. so far. Yeah. Um, it's because we know you more directly. We know. So, of course, we're more aware of, you know, what you're, you guys are trying to do. So uh, that's, but to answer your question, it was, it was easy. Okay. But even, even <laughs> putting a, even putting the flyer in each uh, aspect and um, the cost and extra, you know, the, la- the extra labor to put it into each gun, that's, not you know for us wasn't a question it was, uh, i mean that's great but that was that's a big <laughs> excuse me because i'm choking yeah, you're, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's getting choked up over here I'm so <laughs> no um ugh, water Wrong vulnerability um, is good yeah. we, we teach vulnerability it's okay uh, to cry imagine if i died on this episode <laughs> like all of this for nothing now <laughs> no uh uh because it is it's a big ask you know um i'm on and, and Jake knows this, and you know this, right? We're, it's a limited budget. It's hard to help people. It's mm-hmm. hard to do something good and keep it pure. And we haven't done that. Nobody has taken a salary, and you know that. You mm-hmm. can vouch for that. Mm-hmm. Because financially, he's helped us financially look at the numbers and everything like that. And um, You know, you're going in, and you're going to ask. <laughs> you're going to ask. What's matter with you? I don't know. <laughs> I thought we screened for COVID before the show. <laughs> you go, you go in and you ask, yeah, you know, the team to do things like put cards in the box. That there's an expense to that, mm-hmm. right? Producing the cards, like you guys have taken the initiative to produce the cards, which I'm very thankful for. Mm-hmm. And I'm just gonna be quiet right now. <laughs> Come on, Jake. <laughs> All right, I'll save you. Um, yeah. And we appreciate you taking that initiative. And I think it sets a, it sets an example for other people. It models what's possible. I mean, our next, our next, uh, adventure is going to be putting those flyers in, uh, retail stores and ranges so that, uh, they can have them just available. And we talked about that with Edgar, uh, on one side it says WTTA.org, you know, get a free mental health screening here. And on the backside it says, if you're, you know, if you need help in your community, here's a local, uh, two a friendly, uh, therapy agency or therapist and hopefully we'll get them to stamp or put stickers on the backs of those. And we want those out in every community. Um, several, uh, agencies here, uh, have already done it. I shouldn't say agencies. I should say, um, stores here have already done it. Uh, Zephyr wellness being, being one of those, because we want to invite in, you know, the flip side of the coin is not just to, 
um, you know, keep, keep people safer and, uh, and whatnot, but we want to demystify counseling. Um, so that it's not just about suicide all the time. Yeah. That's a big thing. We want to save lives, but we want people to not just not kill themselves. We want them to live well also, right. And not just white knuckle it through life in their, uh, stress and anxiety. I wanted to ask you, Dustin, um, I know you're in the financial end of things, but I, I've got to believe you see industry, you know, notices and letters and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What are you guys aware, maybe is the first question, but if you are, what has been the response internally to this massive uptick in new gun sales and presumably the uptick in new gun ownership as we hit the pandemic and then we suffered the lockdowns and then we saw the rioting and our country's just becoming more and more polarized. People want to defend themselves. Now we got a conversation about, you know, defunding the police and, and I'm wearing a, a t-shirt for those of you in the listening audience who can't see the video. Um, it says fund the police. And it's not, that's not just a cheeky political flag. I want to wave in people's faces. I actually want a conversation about it because the, the, the anecdotal side story here is that, I've spent the last three years in approximately seven police academies training our law enforcement recruits who will then go on to be police officers across multiple different agencies in town on um, emotional functioning, de-escalation, and then scenarios and evaluations for, you know, dealing with emo- uh, individuals in uh, mental crisis and, and, and broader, but chiefly those in, in mental illness uh, crises and whatnot. But I've done it voluntarily because there's literally no funding for me. And yet that's the cry, right? Like let's, let's get our police better. Um, and now we've got, you know, people who have gone, Holy cow. Like, what if we don't have police? Well, we got to be self-reliant. What do we do to be self-reliant by a firearm? Um, the problem is that there's no training presumably going on because so many stores have been shuttered and so many ranges have been closed and, um, cost is a, is a factor. Intimidation is a factor. It's easier to just go in quietly buy a gun and go home rather than, you know, go say, I, I need help learning how to operate this thing. Um, and again, to credit to Joe Bartosi, who, who gave me this factoid uh, in the first quarter of 2020. So that's uh, January through March, not even like post-March when things really went bad. Uh, first quarter, there was an estimated two and a half million new gun owners in this country. And that to him was the, the biggest increase he's seen in his 35 years in the industry. So what, what's the internal response to this with like regard to safety, uh, effectiveness, um, you know, accidental discharges, safe storage, proper storage at all, uh, training that we can presumably, you know, conclude isn't happening. Well, that's, that's definitely a good question. I think you hit a lot of aspects of basically everything that you just said is all questions that will need to be answered and soon will know um, on that aspect uh, with, with COVID going on. There's a lot of you know questions that realistically no one knows the answer to, and a lot of those questions that you have, you know, no one really knows the answer. But what we do know is that for the first six months of the year, not, you just said quarters, two and a half million new gun owners, right? Um, uh, the first six months is only a bigger number than that. Uh, one, there's, Absolutely. you know, one one positive, you know, the biggest positive that we have on it is that, you know, hey, we're happy to welcome them. And they, we, all, we want them to actually go to the range, learn to be safe with their firearm, uh, know that it's a tool, 
um, that they need to know how to use, just like you need to know how to cut a tomato or you need to know how to, if you have a knife, a knife can do many different things. When same thing when it comes to a firearm, you need to know how to use it. So that's the positives that we're really looking at is that, hey, we have, you know, a couple million people that might have never even thought about buying a gun before that are finally actually feeling like other gun owners do feel a lot of the time saying, hey, I want to protect my family. I want to, you know, I enjoy shooting as relaxation, stress relief. And now people actually have the option to do that. The challenge is, just like you said, is that there are a lot of people that, hey, might have buy a gun and they don't even have ammo to shoot. Uh, so they don't even know how to practice with it because ammunition prices have gone up significantly at the retail level. If you can find it. If you can you find, find it. it. Most of our business is B2B. So, but we see the retail prices and we've seen uh, them go up. So those are all definitely good questions on those aspects when it comes to uh, coat, when it comes to COVID, a lot of them are going uh, unanswered, but I am positive that people are going to, you know, learn how to use it, be safe. NRA has many different, or not just NRA, many different organizations have many different uh, training academies where people can learn uh, and, and do them. But like you said, a lot of these places are shut down because, you know, you can't have too much social interaction. One positive also is that CCW courses, I at least know in the state of Nevada, have significantly gone up. Uh, there's a backlog to get your CCW, like at the police at police station. So it's like you know that there's people that are trying to learn how to use their. I was just talking to my, um, you know, my hair, like the person that does my hair and stuff like that for forever. Uh, and she just got her, you know, CCW with a whole bunch of her hairdresser friends. So it's like because they want to learn how to use. Uh, the firearm responsible, uh, responsible, but yeah, like you said, there are a huge amount of new gun owners and I think there's going to keep on being more and more because for the first time in my life, I mean, you know, there's been seven years I've been in the industry now close to, I've never seen, you know, I've never gotten, I've gotten texts or calls from people saying, you know, how can I, you know, get a, get a gun? People I thought never would even ask me for one. So that's how I knew. I mean, I'm sure, you, Mike, you've gotten the same calls oh, yeah. and stuff like that. You were like, I thought you were against this. Like, you know, it's like you don't really feel like it until you actually, you know, you might think I'm a paranoid person because, you know, I got security cameras, I have guns and all those different things. But now for the first time, a lot of people are feeling like, hey, what if the cops don't come? What if it takes too long? I want to, you know, what if somebody breaks in? Like, just feels that sense of, you know, urgency. And I think that's the reason a lot of people are making these purchases. But I think that everybody needs to, you know, anytime you you buy a gun, you should learn how to use it. Not any of this a gun. Anytime you buy something, learn how to use it. You know, like, be safe, responsible with it when it comes to anything. So, and I hope that, um, yeah, we'll, we'll soon tell. So are you guys, uh, you guys are much closer to the industry than I am obviously, but, uh, and maybe WTTA can be a, uh, a force in this somehow, but do you guys see the industry broadly, even if it's individual components of the industry, acknowledging it and then make, making a proactive effort to get messaging out either through social media or formal advertising on TV that says, just what we said, here are the statistics for the first six months of the year. We know these things. We can presume these other things. If you fall into this category, um, please make sure that you're trained and well-trained, um, almost like a public service announcement. Or is that something that's still too 
too no. third railish, too hot. No, I haven't seen um, as far as like. Well, it's it's a very general question, right? It was a general answer because because firearms industry people have generally always pushed taking a class and course, especially when you get down to like the retail level, like the the gun store level, because many of these gun stores offer mm-hmm. these services, mm-hmm. which are add on services. So they always push that stuff. But you have your Rob Pincuses and everybody like that really kind of pushing this aspect. I don't, see, I don't think the public sees it though. Is what I'm saying. Like I'm not sitting in my home watching watching a, a football game on on Saturday, or well, we probably won't have Saturday football this year unless the NFL does it. But you know, and watching a commercial that comes through, you know, with an NRA brand on it that says, you know, if you own a firearm, please do the following thing. Like there's just that's lacking, and I don't know why. Well, we don't the bi- the biggest thing is we're not allowed to advertise. Yeah, allowed to advertise. That's that's the biggest thing is that they limit us on actually, you know, any anybody who's a manufacturer in the United States believes that it's your right to own a firearm, but they also, you know, believe that hey, if you own something, you know, you should be trained on it, you know. If you own a knife, you should know how to use it. Um and it's your right to own a firearm, but you should know how to use it. We we're limited as a manufacturer to even, you know, advertise and say, you know, this is a little disclaimer on it. You know, the people, for example, like WTTA on that aspect is, it's, you know, car manufacturers will say, don't drink and drive, you know, like right, we can't right, even right. put anything like we can't even put a Daniel defense uh, a couple of years ago. I, I pretty sure it was Daniel defense. I'm sorry if it wasn't, if I'm mis- saying it, but they try to ab- make an ad on the Super Bowl. With no guns, I was just going to say Daniel Defense, and basically what they believed in. From if I'm not speaking out of turn on this aspect, and they pulled the ad, they were going to pay for it just like anybody else would, and they would pull it. Um, and I think it had stuff to do with safety in there, also on it, like is being that, safe with your broad, firearm. Like, is that the broadcast? Is that the network, or is that an FCC thing? Uh, it's an it's the network, because basically I'm I. I'm not an expert when it comes to this. I'd have to talk to Lisa, which is basically she's well, she's in charge of global marketing um, about it. But I'm pretty sure you I know for a fact you can't show a firearm and ad. You can put an anti I've seen, you know, places like the NBA put an anti firearm in their ad, you know, making us, you know, putting misconceptions out there and put bad media about it or not. Maybe not a firearm there, but they put bad media words out there about, you know, the industry Um on the aspect but we can't as like they it's the network if they if as long as we don't have a gun in the ad but with daniel defense they didn't have a gun in the ad you can watch it on youtube and i'm pretty sure it's daniel defense well you can find your nra tv when it existed people would run ads on nra tv and certain uh certain channels will let you do it like say the outdoor network. yeah outworked outward network yeah but Dude, if you don't if you think for one minute that like we wouldn't run ads in people magazine if we could we would do it <laughs> like the bigger guys, like the Rugers and the Smith and Wessons, the guys who have the $32 million marketing budgets. If you look at their, yeah, they're publicly traded. So all their information's out there. They would have taken out ads in normal places so that you'd see everyday ads for like Charmin or, you know, yeah. Bounce. so these, these are the publishers that are, that are mm-hmm. uh, suppressing content. That's, that's crazy to me. So maybe there is a space for, for WTTA to step in there and say, Hey, under the auspices of mental health, you know, uh, promotion and suicide prevention, we need to have this conversation about safe firearm storage. And then maybe People Magazine does pick it up as opposed to 
well, we're not going to push gun sales. We'll push gun safety, uh, you know, for the purposes of saving lives or whatever. And maybe they won't. I don't know. Maybe they just don't. But that's crazy to me. I didn't know that. I didn't. I mean, yeah. I just I mean, connected now. Holy cow. There's not a, a firearms industry person that hasn't walked into a room before and totally turned it off by, you know, the people saying, what do you do again? And then when you explain it to them, you know, and, and, and you know me, I'm like, I'm the ungun gun guy. Like, that's my thing, man. I don't, I'm not a gun person. So I don't know how many times I've seen people shy away, whether it's a bank that was going to give us mm. a loan or something like that when I had Eagle, um, when they found out the scope of what we do. Um, they made it seem like we were just like filing off serial numbers and handing them to children in, in underprivileged, underserved communities. And it's not like that. And I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I fight. I'm, I'm much better at fighting for two A rights than being into guns like that. You know what I mean? Cause like, it's not like hobby hobby. Right. Um, but that's one of the things growing up. I was like, that's not fair. And it's not fair to say about these people, you know, to be called like standing on graves and, you know, you see a very powerful, effective anti-gun commercial, right? Like, I know the Everytown, remember the Everytown one mm-hmm. where the kid was hiding in the bathroom and she was texting yeah. like her mother? I mean, that's powerful stuff. But we all have to, to recognize what that is, right? So that's to get you emotionally charged to go after 2A rights, and that will not solve that school shooting. And we know that, right? <laughs> we know that. Because none of this stuff adds up. And that's what I was always looking at is like they're allowed to advertise on places um, and have far better reach and be funded, quite frankly, um, by some pretty powerful people. And we're not. Our hands are tied. And I think that's one of the reasons why the industry itself has always circled the wagons and thrown their hands up and said, screw it. We're not going to deal with this. You know, Hmm. like see you in court or we'll battle you in legislation. (laughs) Yeah, that's I I definitely agree with you on that, and I think that's why a lot of people, uh, the industry so tightly knit, and it's hard to get people, you know, foreign things in that aspect. So, and I think a lot of people would, you know, talk about if they could advertise, even if they if a firearm manufacturer can talk about, you know safety courses or put them on or advertise them just even give their they would do it because it's also going to give their brand you know publicity plus it's going to make uh a, a safer community but we're limited on that aspect of it so some things on it yeah yeah a lot a lot of the questions that you asked i don't know the answers to and there's a lot of stuff that are our hands are tied that we can't even do anything about it because people want to have sometimes want to have negative not people in general but some people want to have this hey i want to only talk about you negative and you have no right to defend yourself so what would you do in that circumstance you get in a tightly knit group and say well we're gonna do our thing and uh keep on going because it's it's worked for a while and it's uh it's 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 definitely difficult this i mean i'm sure you guys talk about in the podcast before um, or just in general to people like Mike's difficulty with even just getting people wrapped around WTTA. And I'm sure you still have difficulty with it. I got it. And Jake, right. I got in a fight the other day on, uh, in one of the threads of a, a post. I, I still, to this day, get into it was, it doesn't happen that often. Right. So I'm not going to sit there and say it happens all the time, but occasionally you'll get this person that is from the old school, probably from my cold dead hands. We do not talk about mental health or suicide prevention no matter what because it's all these gun grabbers and it's anti-2a 
Like even creating time and space between a firearm when somebody is in crisis can trigger, you know, a, a person that is super pro 2A. You know, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. It's like hard to have that conversation. Um, you know, because they'll flat out ask you, are you for rights restriction? And we're like, no, not at all. And then they fact? just bulldoze right past that. They're like, you must be. I'm like, well, <laughs> you me, if you're not going to listen to my answer, then I guess our conversation's over. Yeah, but it's it's tough. I think that if we could, I mean, if you don't think in 2012, because when you say that's, Dustin, that was like when the industry was really rocking and rolling. Yeah. Yeah, Jake, there was a time. It's kind of like the time now, right? If you made it and it went bang, it sold, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we have an industry full of people that, um, became millionaires and we had an industry full of people that thought they were great at sales because everything sold. So it, you almost had too much product, uh, you know, product the, the challenge was getting enough. Um, back then the Rugers and the Smith and Weston's, they totally would have had Super Bowl ads if they could have, you know what I mean? We had the money. Yeah. And actually right now in the industry, it's the most unique situation I've seen and tuck talk about Jake what you were talking about is the new gun ownership that more new gun owners ever in the history in a six month span I, I don't know the exact stats on it but you, it doesn't take a rocket science to look at the background checks and realize right. that there's more new gun owners ever in the history of the United States in a six month period and the challenge is now as a manufacturer is that back in you know 2012, 2013, or even 2016, these factories weren't dealing with COVID or the limitations. You know, people have their own opinions on COVID, but as a business, no matter what, there's you know there's definitely constraints on a business with COVID. You know, every manufacturer in the United States, you know, your rural communities has to deal with it slightly. If you're foreign, you're dealing with it. You know, some of these countries are really limited because they don't have the rights that the United uh, Americans do. So it's definitely a different scenario. I'd, I'd never seen it like this. I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I think it's just going to get even more and more, I think the demand is going to get uh, pretty uh, crazy. Um, and I think a lot of people that have ammo that, you know, maybe had a couple thousands of rounds, like a lot of gun owners do, or maybe probably not shooting as much or just, you know, shooting and just waiting for prices to drop down. And I, I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. I just, I think that uh, people are just, you know, it's something that's number one, it's a social distancing activity. If you're in Vegas, you can go over to, you know, desert sportsman's that's where I'm a member at and you go shooting and something fun to do, you know, and it's actually a social distancing aspect and that's, you have the shooting aspect and also you just have the home defense aspect. So I think a lot of people are doing uh, different things. I don't think it's, I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. And I think that as a, I think some people might be upset that there's actually more people coming in the industry, especially people that maybe didn't like it before. Um, but on my aspect, I'm trying to be positive on it and saying, hey, you know, we're going to get new people. More people are actually going to understand now than ever before saying, hey, it actually means something to protect your house. You're not a criminal if you own a gun, you know, like, and those are a lot, those are some conceptions about the gun industry that. And my aspect kind of make me sick to my stomach sometimes that people actually think that, you know, like, cause most people, like I said, be, you know, in the mid uh, podcast aspect is 
most gun owners are just genuinely just nice. Some of the nicest people I met, you know, in our NRA conference, people are saying like, Oh, you guys are evil. You guys are, you know, X, Y, Z, you know, just saying bad things. And it's like, you go there. It's like, these people are just like, sometimes they're so nice. You gotta, you're hoping they stop talking to you because yeah. they're so dang nice, you know, like, cause they're so into it. Um, and I think with the new gun owners is that I think people are going to learn how to, you know, be safe with a firearm. And then number two is like, people are actually going to understand what, um, you know, what, being a firearm owner is all about and we're not bad people or just people either you know you got the hunter aspect you got the home defense aspect and you also have the you know uh shooting sport like people that just going to competition shoot or just going to the range just a stress relief so and you're not a bad person if you own a firearm you're most likely a pretty dang good person right. and uh Responsible and exactly and yeah. those people that are you that really know how to like that are really trained i'm still I go to the range at least once a month, and I'm, I wouldn't call myself that much of a professional by any means. But if I'm ever in a situation where I'm hoping that somebody with a gun is around me, because that is a responsible and knows exactly what they're doing, because I feel safer when they are around. So, um, but anyways, I'm I, I don't know. Sometimes I just keep on going on and on. It's, yeah, Mike, Mike I'm gave me this coffee I, before I started. I, so I was actually the podcast before, man. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's what podcasts are for, though. To to you know to you, you've mentioned that a couple times. You're like, I think I just get talking, and I'm like, yeah, we want that. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I get this <laughs> idea that most people are sick of sound bites. They want they want long form, nuanced conversation about difficult topics. They don't want you know to be told what to think. They want to be given options. And the longer we ramble, I think the more edifying it is to the to the human brain. So. Don't don't ever don't ever apologize for going deep. Well, I I do have a question for you, um, and, and I, I I recognize that we we went way over what we told you. Before, so I appreciate that. But, uh, <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's uh, I probably who knows if you'll have me guys back or about yeah. We'll have you back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but how do you how do you tend to your mental health? How do I tend to mine? Yeah. You know, and I get that aspect of it. I'm. I look at me sometimes and I analyze myself just like in my book where I say, you got to know yourself. Right. And you know me, I'm just a genuinely like, I'm probably overly happy. Sometimes most people would describe me as like, why this guy, sometimes I just want to, I'm never in a bad mood. (laughs) And I think that definitely me, it's just maybe genetics. I don't know what it is, but I'm just a happy person. So, I mean, but everybody has uh, mental health and in, I try to, everybody has mental health aspects because even me as a happy person, sometimes you'll just like, you know, even if it's just a weak time frame, like it's weird. One only happened to me once in my life, but there was like one week, just like different times of the day. I'd just be feeling low. And I'm just like, what the heck is like happening? And I stepped back. Cause this, this was probably just maybe a year. I don't know when it was ago when WTTA was already going. And I'm just like, and as you get older in life, too, I'm going on two different subjects, too. It's like you're seeing your friends, like, that have mental health issues, right? Right. And you're seeing it, and you're like, how do I handle this? Because you know your friends. Some friends just don't want to talk about it, or it might be offensive, right? right? Like, on those, and sometimes you're looking at them and be like, this person has a mental health, and this, how would this person even have a mental health issue 
when they have everything in the world. Like sometimes people look at it as a bad thing. Like this person has a mental health issue, but they have as much money as they can think about. Right. And people sometimes will look, I'm not going to feel bad for that person. Like I, like this person has everything. They, they shouldn't have a mental health issue. Right. Um, um, but to bring me back to that is that week that I was maybe just had instances where I'm just like, I'm feeling a lull. Like I'm just like, this never happened to me before. I'm like, how do I shake this feeling? You know, because so you recognize yeah, I recognize that, and it wasn't like I was still like, ha- but then to be instances where I'm just like not happy. This has only happened for like a week right. for only my life. Like, and I was just like, and at that point, I said to myself, "This is me, somebody that's always happy, right? Like, I'm always happy, and I felt these this lull for a week, and I haven't felt it since. You know, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was something I was, I don't, I don't know, but I really st- thought in my head, I'm like. There's people out there, probably, there's people out there that feel that all the time. And how do you actually get them, you know, out of it? I'm not a professional. Like, you guys know more about it. You guys are, you know, dealing with the organization that actually, you know, talks to people that might have that aspect. And I really start thinking about it. I'm like, wow, if people felt like that all the time, like, how do you handle it? How do you get them out of it? What do you do? Uh, for that aspect of mental health and that's a question i don't know the answer to um and all and my biggest thing always in my life has always been being there for people you know like that's always the biggest thing for me is like people that are close to you when they're going through their hardest times just be there and talk to them because i'm not a professional i don't know what to do i'm not a psychologist i don't know how to handle it but my biggest thing always is this you know, hey, if your friends, you feel like you're a little bit worried about your friend, text them. You know, say, let's hang out. And then just keep on saying it. I've, you know, we, we've we hung out where you want your friend. I'm not going to name his name or anything like that. But, you know, it's a funny yeah, no, story. Yeah, yeah. Hey, My I, friend that was going through a bad divorce. Yeah, bad. And answer was to take him to a strip club and he acted like a serial killer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he... he but a couple of weeks later, we just wanted him to be happy. Like yeah. Me and him. Yeah. Dustin and I are happy <laughs> exactly. And, uh, but a week later, or a night later, he probably realized like, and now he looks back and he, he says, laughs it, he yeah. laughs at it. But at a time is, and you do it all the time. It's like, you're a person. And a lot of people, and not a lot, but there's some people that aren't like that. It's like, they see, you know, bad and they want to run away from it and that's just human nature it's like i don't want to be around like i'm a happy person i don't want to be around unhappy people but if somebody truly cares about you that's and you care about them and they're a good person in your circle sometimes just you know reach out to them you're really really good at it um i uh, i'd probably need to work out a little bit more but i try <laughs> but that's what going on the mental health aspect my mental health on it but i i analyze it and i think it's the biggest thing is knowing yourself and having people, and that's why I go back to that chapter of my book that Jake was asking about there before. It it's like, I was go like, right back to that plug. Exactly, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> that plug. answer is actually <laughs> in, in the, the book. book. You can get on Amazon right now. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the first 30 guide to your first 30 Exactly, <laughs> for it. And then it goes back to this, the circle of friends and having people around you that realistically, and I have some harsh things in that book that people will probably say, Dustin, you might be a little bit harsh, but certain things I believe in that, will set me up for my foundation you know people that are no good for you that are just weighing you down sometimes you got to cut ties and just call you know like and and then keeping surrounding yourself by people that are good because 
everybody's going to go through heart, no matter if you got money, you don't have money, X, Y, Z, or, you know, you're going, everybody's going to go through hard times in their life. And the people that are going to be there for you are the people that care about you. And sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. It doesn't, you don't need somebody to go out and spend a whole bunch of money and take you somewhere. It's like, you just want somebody there. And the people that you want to surround yourself by people when you get a situation like that, because you never know what's going to happen. And hopefully it never happens to most people. But there will be times that sometimes you just want to talk to somebody and people that you trust. Right. You know what I appreciate about that answer is that you didn't say solve it for them. Yeah. You're okay sitting in the presence of somebody in in distress or in misery. And I think the temptation for a lot of us is we want to solve it. Not necessarily even to solve it for the person who's suffering, but to solve it for us because we don't want to watch them in their suffering. And uh, that that means a lot to me. I appreciate that you, you repeatedly said, just be there for him. Just be there for him. That's that's really cool. Yeah, that's the biggest thing is just being there for, I mean, for me personally, everybody has their own ways of doing things. But for me, it's just being there for somebody and making time because, you know, time's the only thing you definitely can't get back. And um, But yet again, like, being being there for somebody's I can't say it enough is always the biggest thing and usually it's what everybody's parents want or everybody's you know significant other wants like hey that's I just want you to be there yeah and that, and that makes people um, happy and stuff like that but like Mike was saying like analyzing my mental health on it yeah I think I think everybody should maybe not I mean you guys are more mental health experts than I am, but yet I, I am not a mental health expert. <laughs> so I think in this room, the three of us, there's one mental, mental health, health expert. expert. Well, definitely, Jake. But, I, but on that aspect, is um, me just knowing yourself, knowing what you're good at, knowing what you're not so good at, and realizing that you can't do everything perfect and us being okay. It, it takes me a long time. I'm I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, but I like to do my best at everything. And sometimes saying, hey, I only got so much time in the day. Why am I going to learn how to do this when I can just have, you know, ask for help or, you know, if it's business, having somebody else do it. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not going to get done exactly how I want it. But yet again, it still gets done to what they want. And at the end result, you know, the consumer or, you know, the spy or the customer, they they don't know any different. They actually might might like their product better than mine. Right. Well, and to... Not, I'm not making a joke here. I'm bringing it full circle <laughs> to the book. But I mean, you just said, like, I'm genuinely a happy person. And I, and I am someone that can actually relate to that comment. Mm-hmm. And it's very strange for a lot of people because I, I engage in a lot of conversations. I have my moments. Like, I do have anxiety about things. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, I use humor and I'm genuinely happy. And that's a lot of people don't understand that. Um Cause it's like, they can't believe it. They're like, why is this dude always joking around and smiling? Yeah. And, you know, I could approach him and he's never going to like flip a table over or something like that. Um, but you're a happy person who wrote a book that gave a guideline. I mean, I think that, that, I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if somebody were to look at Dustin, I, I, I agree with you. I've always said like, you're someone that I could see at a gun show and I know that I'm going to walk up to you and we're going to laugh and be happy. Yeah. Um, there are some people I, I catch at wrong times. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you kind of wrote this guide um, that kind of outlines your pursuit of happiness, um, which is pretty cool. Jake, is there something there as the mental health professionals listening to this? I think that's kind of cool that he has a book um, and he's a happy person. Cause I, I, I know a lot of people write books and the stuff they write about, it's a it's an act 
This is going to sound a little weird, but um, I actually encourage people not to pursue happiness because uh, happiness is a, an emotion like the other nine core emotions that we have. It's, it's joy uh, and it's thereby temporary. So if you're pursuing happiness based on external factors, you're, you're always going to be in pursuit of it. And then it's by its own very nature going to be very disappointing because you're not going to as soon as you land on it, it's gone. But I think pursuing peace, which is what you guys are basically referring to, you're, you're, you're at peace is what you are now. Happiness comes from being at peace and you're not looking externally for something else to make you happy, quote unquote, but you're finding it within yourself. And both of you have done that. And I can give my own testimony to that because for a long time I was very depressed and negative and bitter and angry. And I was a miserable son of a bitch to be around, but I didn't see it. I just thought I had high standards or some stupid thing like that until friends started pointing it out to me that like, dude, Jake, you're not any fun to hang around with. And I wrestled with that for years upon years. I think the first time I remember really being called out on it was probably circa 2000 in college by a roommate. And, um, and that was an unpleasant fact to face. And, um, he actually bet me a six pack that I couldn't go a week without saying something negative. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I was like, Oh wait, (laughs) I just said something negative and I wasn't even aware of it. And then it continued for a good six to 10 years after that. And where it really pivoted was I had somebody in my life like you two who, uh, you know, to, to whom I looked for guidance and inspiration. And he, uh, was a very good friend. We were coaching high school track together. And he's one of those guys like, like Mike, he's a big guy. He, he, he has, long he has like curly brown hair and his big giant radiant smile and you just want to give him a big hug and um (laughs) yeah seriously like like he's just he's just full of joy and humor all the time and he happens to be a big time jesus follower is a a well-known you know christian throughout the campus and whatnot and um so i went to him one day during track practice and i was like Okay, Chris, like, and I shared this on one, uh, I actually interviewed him for a podcast on my podcast, Noggin Notes. So if you want to look up the Chris Berry interview on Noggin Notes, you can, you can listen to the whole story. But I went to him one day and I was like, Hey man, so what's the deal? Like with your, you know, always being happy. I get that you got this like Jesus thing going or whatever, but, but beyond that, like, what's the practical thing that I need to know to, to be happy? Cause I realized something is rotten within me. And he kind of like, he kind of dropped character and he was like, huh, he became very reflective and he's like, um, I guess I just don't focus on negative things. I just focus on the happy things. I was like, what? Come on. That can't be it. Um, and so from that point forward, I, I decided I'm going to try to be like Chris Berry. I'm going to channel my inner, you know, Mike Sedina or my inner Dustin Jones. And I'm just going to be like, what would I be like in every interaction if I were that person? And, and so I basically started faking it until it became my new habit. Mm. And that was, that was my roadmap. I just kind of fit, made it up as I went. And it was because I realized I was so miserable not hanging out with people and hosting parties that nobody attended. And like, I was just bitter and angry and like on edge, hypervigilant all the time, just like, like teeth gnashing, you know, jaw set that I was like, something's got to change. I want to, who do I want to be like? I want to be like this guy. Um, and it worked. And for a while I really like internally, I just thought I'm a fraud. I'm such a fraud. I, this outward appearance isn't me. Um, but then eventually something shook loose and, and it worked. And I think what Dustin's done here is he's, he's literally written a roadmap for how to do it. Cause we all, we all look to people like Chris Berry, like Mike Sedini, like Dustin Johnson. And now I'd like to say that I, I am a genuinely more often than not at peace person, which then provide provides joy in my life because my eyeballs go to the things that are good and pleasant and possible 
rather than the things that are not. And, and that's uplifting. I think people gravitate to that when it becomes a reflection of your inner core. Um, and they, they want to know how. They, they go, you know, what, what's the secret? What's the recipe? And I can tell you how I got here. I can tell you how I maintain it. Um, but having a having an actual manual really helps. Another one that pops into mind is like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, I think is a great, great, you know, foundation building block for like, just, just get your life in order, you know, and Dustin's done basically something similar here. And it's very, you know, it is, it is positive. It is uplifting. And um, yeah, more of that. Good. Good job. Good on you. Right. Well, thank you. Hey, you guys, I just realized something. You guys are both University of Reno guys. Yeah. Yeah. You went to, no, it's not the University of Reno. Come on, Nevada, Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> hey, listen, everybody thinks that my school is University of Phoenix online. Right? State. Right? So I get to do it to somebody else, even though I didn't mean to do that. Uh, <laughs> University of Nevada that happens to be in Reno. It's the flagship institution of the state. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are college. You guys went to yeah, same school. Yeah, same. I did same, not know that. Yeah, I remember you saying that earlier, and I was like, "Oh dang!" I yeah. guess that's where you you just hang around people that went to Nevada. So <laughs> you, you defected. You defected from Vegas to come to school, but usually when that happens, you don't return to Vegas. They end up staying here. They move elsewhere. They never return to Vegas. That's well, weird. yeah. Well, fu- funny like thing. Yeah, I was. I actually loved Reno. I still love Reno. I mean, it's a beautiful like. It, it's right. a lot. It's a lot bigger than it is than what when it was 10, 12 years ago. I graduated two thousand nine, but. The thing is, when I graduated, it was uh, right when the recession was happening, like the 2008, like the real impacts of the, you know, 2008, 2012, you know, great recession. So Reno really didn't have any jobs. You know, the job market in Reno has gotten extremely better ever since everybody from, you know, California is just flooding the state of Nevada because, of course, the taxes and all the new policies and especially from work from home aspect, if people can work from home. Why not? working from vegas or reno's just a great four season place so i know we're not i'm not i'll stop talking about it but it's a great place <laughs> but that's the re- that's yeah that's the reason i, I didn't stay there is because or even had the chance to there wasn't jobs so vegas there was more jobs even though there was people not as many but uh got it got a job and it was home and haven't left and i still love vegas too i think vegas is a great well yeah you you love to vegas too right yeah. so um, but yeah, we have the state of Nevada podcast, I guess, going on right now. So yeah, yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> a small world because I get, you know, and this is at this point where this means nothing to the listeners, but like he knows the trillos and everything like that. So yeah. there's a whole like Reno connection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did you, did you catch earlier when I said that I know Chris? Oh because no. Yeah. Attorney with my brother. They were both in the same fraternity. Oh yeah, I was in that fraternity. I was in that fraternity too, but I, I guess I don't. I don't want people to look at me like that. You know, the fraternity. Frat yeah, yeah, frat guys. Okay. So talk about stigma. Yeah, yeah. another stigma. I guess I like to go. I like to go to places where there's stigmas with people. You know, maybe maybe change the stigma. So we'll see. So. All right. Well, in the interest of time and respecting everybody's time, um, I don't know if I want to dare play the outro. I think we'll just uh, edit that in at the end. <laughs> yeah, so, Dustin, Dustin, how? Tell us how do people get in touch with you? How do people get your book? And how do people find out more about Rock Island Arms Corps? Well, the uh, the book is available. It's only available actually on Amazon.com. Um, it's 
basically that's how they all started, right? For the people that don't know the history on Amazon is making books. Um, so usually they're publishing company. The book's called The First 30, Guide to Your First 30 Years by Dustin Jones. So you just go on there. And I'd love to get a review on the, either Goodreads or Amazon. Just let me know what you think. Uh, to get in touch with me, uh, the best way is my email is on uh, LinkedIn. Most people have that LinkedIn aspect. Um, that's the best way to get in touch with me on the ask, um, just to contact me. For Arms Corps, uh, everybody's using mostly digital now, but www.armscore.com or rockislandarmory.com, and it has all our products on there. Uh, for the aspect, but those are the best ways to learn more about IG, Arms Corps. Guys are on Instagram, Instagram guys are on yeah, at Rock Island Armory for Instagram. It seems like with a lot of the gun people are using now YouTube. Go check out a couple uh, reviews of our firearms and ammunition, and then I'm sure people will be happy uh, that we're known basically the best uh, bang for the dollar, really. So, really uh, yeah, yeah. So you, we got 1911s, shotguns, VR80 has been doing crazy good the whole vr series of shotguns um i mean right now if you can actually uh get a gun get <laughs> yeah How's the tcm going? Like the, the tcm still picking up traction you know it's just a unique time we're looking for more people to make the ammunition you know different man because we're the people that make the ammunition and the firearm and it's getting out of that i mean i don't want to speak out of turn i just like let marketing and all of them talk about it but i have my personal but usually marketing says don't talk about that kind of stuff okay. so <laughs> So, <laughs> which oh yeah, which which TCM is like actually a club. You yeah, have a gun that you know he talks about. It's yeah, cool. it's just like they, it's like you know, Dustin just like just talk to us, and then we'll let everybody know about it. So, uh, but yeah, the VR series, the shot, the TCM is actually around that we only make arms core. It's a it's neck down pistol caliber. It's uh, pretty unique, and it's really fun to shoot. Um, but more, I'll let marketing talk about more about the aspects of it. But of course, my. Um, my, my, my baby of everything is the VR series of shotguns, VR 80, 60, uh, 40, and 100. And we got some we got some more stuff coming out that I think people will be excited about. A lot of the things about the industry right now, uh, not to keep it going, is uh, a lot of the new items that we have coming out are getting delayed, number one, because our machines are going to making existing products, right? Um, and also with everything happening on, it's really hard to launch, um, um, a gun. So, I mean, marketing can expand more on that, but that's, we'll see how many new guns come out in 2021 or at the end of the year. Cause I really haven't heard about too many, uh, cause everybody's just making, you know, what they have already. Um, we have a lot of new items in the pipeline, which some of them I'm really excited. I'm excited for all of them, but there's some that I'm really excited for and, We'll see when they come out because I, you know, 2021 is right around the corner. So we'll see what marketing wants to do. So for those of you who are interested in what it means to know your own limits, Dustin just exemplified that by saying, I'm going to let marketing handle marketing <laughs> and I'm going to stay in my lane. <laughs> that is yeah, one Mike's example. Gonna get, Mike's going to get me in trouble. You I know, so. <laughs> he's like, turning in his chair talking yeah i was like ah you know it's like all of a sudden i'm gonna get a call later you know what's this thing here so they're gonna say you're still smiling though you're not you're not good enough at the belichick answer (laughs) that's not me that's That's for marketing i'm a finance guy yeah (laughs) well i i thank you for all that you do for walk talk america man i i really appreciate it um you know this partnership that we just got into where we just had a press release um People at listening at home need to understand how big that is for 
a manufacturer to step up like that. And I, I, I can't thank you guys enough. And top to bottom from Martin to Lisa to Kaloy to Louie to everybody, <laughs> you guys are a class act. You always have been. Um, you're some of the happiest and nicest welcoming people in the firearms industry. Um, and believe me, if it wasn't for people like you guys, um, this this wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here because you guys are the ones that I say like the good people that make you know that don't drive me crazy and keep me going, <laughs> um, that believe in, in everything I've done. And you believed in me when, and it's funny, it's come such a far way mm-hmm. in two years, but you believed in me when I just was pitching a concept, you know, so I appreciate it. So thank you for coming on and uh, thank you for all the help that you've given us. And, you know, I, I'm super humbled by everything you guys have done for us. Oh, no, thank It's not a problem for us. Thank you, you guys and you guys WTTA and just working on it and keep on pushing forward because I can tell you, like I said earlier, it's like we wouldn't uh, support you unless we believed in number one, you, and then also the biggest thing is WTTA, because that's what you're behind, and we believe in it, and you guys are the real people, you know, on the front lines, we're just, we're just donating money to the organization, (laughs) so our job's realistically just to make money so we can donate it to you, um, and, you know, keep on providing a solid product, and we, you guys are the ones really doing the work, and bridging the gap, and, we really believe in your mission statement. I hope everybody can go to WTTA.org and just check it out. And I don't, you know, we share your WTTA a lot on arms cores, you know, uh, LinkedIn and social media and just on the aspects of it because we believe in it. And I can tell you, no one's ever said anything bad about it. everybody's just like, wow. And, uh, I think this, the more people that become aware of it, um, the more people will believe in it. And, with people like you guys are behind it with the podcast and everything. Uh, it's, I, I can't see it not going well. I can just see it keep on getting better and better. But as we were saying earlier, it just takes time, right? Yeah. So it just yeah. takes time, but I appreciate your guys' time and everything and just having me on. And um, I'm hoping that uh, we can hang out and, do uh, keep that, I guess, I don't know, you know. Yeah, Jake, we got to get you guys down. You got to get you down here, Jake, to hang out with these guys, you know. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm always down for a field trip. <laughs> well, thanks, Dustin. On yeah, behalf of the uh, Walk the Talk America crew, um, we wish you all great mental wellness. Stay safe and uh, support us. WTTA.org. See you later.